Good morning. You guys ever uh, change your mind a lot? No? Uh, good. All right. Uh, the... It's funny, um, I feel like we all have different areas in life where we just change our mind all the time. Uh, for myself, it's in restaurants when the menu comes out, you know, and I'm looking and I'm like, I want the chimichanga, I'm, I'm set on this. And then, um, and then the waiter comes and um, I start to think, ah, oh, do I want the chimichanga, do I want the fajitas, you know? And then it's like, uh, I'll take the chimichanga and then the fajitas come out and in my mind, I'm like, I made the wrong decision. Like, but there's no, there's no turning back. There's no, you know, you, I change my mind all the time when it comes to restaurants. Uh, my wife Amber, she changed her mind when it comes to like gifts. Like one time we were at this store, Charlotte Roos, if you're wondering, and we're in there and she comes up to me and it was around her birthday and she says, hey, there, there's this wallet where you can, you know, put your phone in it. I really, really want this. So you can buy this for me for my birthday. I'm like, okay. So I buy it for her. I'm not even joking. Like 15 minutes from when we get to the house, she's like, I don't want this. I was like, are you kidding me? You, you, you came up to me and told me you wanted it. So we had to go and exchange it and all that. Um, you know, I feel like all the stuff that we learn in school, like people just change their minds. It's like, hey, Pluto is a planet. Make sure you memorize it. And then you get out of high school. It's like, no, nah, just kidding. Like, it's not anymore. Like, who, who decides? It might be, again, I don't know. Um, or, or like driving. They, you know, they told you, hey, 10 and 2, this is the most safe position to hold the wheel come to find out it's the most dangerous, and they switch it. They're like, hey, the airbags are going to come and hit your, your hands. It's going to, you know, destroy your face. Um, people change their minds all the time. Um, you know, so, so what today's message is, is does prayer change God's mind? It's something that's really confusing and, and hard to, to understand, um, I came across this one picture uh, this week, you know, going with a lot of the snow that we've had. Uh, someone did this, this picture of this little bear. It's really cute. And you look at it, it's like, oh, that's cool. Someone probably took a lot of time with that. And then you think, how did the belly button get there? Think about it. And you think, did someone throw some snowballs or did someone have some sort of like, I don't know, someone was like, someone may have taken a rope, put a weight on the middle of it, thrown the rope to, I'm like, who has that time to say, hey, we need to get this bear a belly button and we can't have any tracks showing that we did it. I don't know. It's something that, that I have, I don't understand. I'll, I'll never know. Um, and so today's message is one of those, it's, it's, it's confusing we're not going to understand 100% of, of how God works when it comes to prayer, um, especially this passage. It's one of those that just like just blows your mind. You're like, what in the world? Um, but we are going to take a look at what we do know and what this does mean about the prayers that we pray. So the story we're going to look at is in Exodus 32. Uh, just a little context here. Uh, Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai for the uh, Ten Commandments. While this is going on, the Israelites get extremely impatient. And they go to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they say, Hey, um, we're getting really impatient. What we want you to do is to create a, a golden calf, something that we can worship down here. And uh, so they get all their gold. They create this idol, this, this golden calf. And they basically have this party of just, you know, complete immorality and all this while Moses is on the mountain. And this is what God says. It says in, in Exodus 32, verse 9, Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. 
Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them from the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you've threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. You know, that confuses me. What? You know, we learn about the immutability of God, which means that, that God is unchanging. He, he is unchanging, yet we have in this passage where Moses says, hey God, rem- why would you do this? Remember the oath. Remember the promise that you made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it says the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he threatened to bring on his people. You know, it... This is extremely mind-bending when you really think about it because you think, man, did God really change his mind in that moment or at the beginning of time? Did he know, hey, I know the kind of person Moses is and I know he's going to pray this prayer and so in that, that's going to be my response or, or you know, th- this mending of God's sovereignty and, and man's free will and all this to where it's really hard to grasp and to fully understand. You know, we're never going to, completely understand all of God's ways, all of the way that he responds, because he's God. He's so much greater than us. We'll never be able to understand him. But I do believe that just from this passage, there are some things that we can take from it to form some sort of a, um, an understanding of what our prayers truly do. So what we do know, the very first thing is that God's promises Purpose and person never change. God's promises, purpose, and person never change. You know, in Numbers 23, 19, this is what's so confusing about this passage is it says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through. And so that's confusing. It says, you know, God does not change his mind, yet we see in this passage where it says that God changed his mind. So what does that mean? In Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, it says this, Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God, and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it ever happens. Um, before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. You know, what we can see from these passages is that in God's person, purpose, and promises, He never changes. He never wavers as to who He really is. The kind of, the, the, His character, His person never changes. His purpose never changes. His purpose to bring humanity back to Himself and His promises never change. So when we read this passage, we need to make sure we hold to the truth that God Himself never changes. Not thinking about how glad I am that, that we as humans have the ability to change. 
You know that uh, online there was that 10-year challenge where you're supposed to post a picture 10 years ago? And the majority of people are like, praise God for, for change. Um, you know, m- myself, like I think of myself in like middle school, and I'm like, God, thank you for, for changing me. Um, I still have a Yahoo email that, you know, you, a lot of times you have emails from like, you know, that you made like in middle school, and it's like, why didn't I delete this? And it's my, it's my junk email, and so uh, it's swappatrol77 at yahoo.com. Um, and so anytime I'm in like a, like a, uh, like a store, like Old Navy, like, hey, can, can we get your email? And I'm like, oh, you already have it. And they're like, uh, I don't think we do. Can we get your email? And they like really press me. And so then I'll try to like, I hate saying like, uh, swappatrol77 at yahoo.com. So I'll try to spell it out, <laughs> I'm like S-W-A-T-P-A-T-R-O-L-7-7 uh, at Yahoo. And they're like, SWAT Patrol? I'm like, yes. Oh. Um, the origin of that email was in middle school, streetball was like a real big thing on like ESPN. So there'd be, you know, people that are like the spider, the professor, and they were all things that like described their name. But it was always someone else that gave you this name. Uh, I gave myself the name of SWAT Patrol. And I, but I didn't tell anybody. I was like, because like SWAT like blocks, I was terrible at offense, terrible at like every component, but I had a few blocks. And so it was like, oh, I'm the SWAT patrol. Um, and I tell people, yeah, like <laughs> people call me SWAT patrol. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. I guess, I, I guess I'll carry it. Um, but it was me in my room thinking to myself, like what would make me really cool? Um, <laughs> There's a lot of things when you think about yourself when you're younger where you're like, thank God that I have changed. A lot of it is, is our character, our integrity. Things where you think, man, praise God that he, he makes us more like Him. Thank God that we change. Thank God there are components of our lives where we change, but God is perfect. So that means He is unchanging. His person, His purpose, His promises never change. Never change. He has a plan for your life. The, the, the promises that, that he, he, you can never be separated from his love. The promise that he will come back for you. The promise that he works everything out for, for your good. That he will make you more like Christ in everything that happens in your life. Those promises never change. His purpose never changes. He, his purpose to reconcile the world with himself through Jesus. His purpose to defeat death, to defeat sin, to bring glory to his name. That never changes. His person never changes. His character, who he is. You know, there are times where it's like before I have coffee, where I am, I'm literally like a different, I tell Amber, I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. I've been, I'm being a brat right now. Like I haven't had coffee. I'm tired. I, you know, it's like our character changes with different circumstances. God is not like that. No matter what, his, his person never changes. Who he is, he is love. He never changes. But what we do see, and this is where it gets kind of confusing, is that his plans are unfolding. His plans are unfolding. So he will always operate. He will always, everything that he does is consistent with his person, his purpose, and his, and his promises. But what we see is that his plans are unfolding. God is outside of time. But I believe that there are multiple ways that he can respond to a situation that will still be consistent in his promises, purposes, and person, which is kind of, kind of weird. You know, if he would have wiped out the nation of Israel and started with Moses, would he have, could he have done that and still been in line with his purpose, 
promises in person? I believe so. Yeah. Like he, like he, he still would have been honoring his promise. He still would have, would have sent Jesus. His purpose still would have been um, consistent. And then his person, his character, you know, his person of like he is just repulsed by, by sin, by, by worshiping gods because it is so much lower than what he has for the people that he saves. But here Moses comes and says, hey, hey God, remember the promise that, that you had and remember all these things. And, and God, man, are you really going to bring them this far for the, for the Egyptians to look and, and say, man, he just brought them out there so he could just slaughter them? And then, and then God calls an audible, it looks like, and says, you know what, Moses, I'm, I'm, and, and it says he changes his mind. He turns from what he was going to do and, and offers grace and mercy. And, and here's the cool thing is that in him offering the grace and mercy, did it still line up with his promises? Yes. Did it still line up with his purposes and his person? Yes, it did. And so we can trust our God because he is unchanging. We may not understand when he turns, when he does different things. We may not understand exactly what he does, but we can trust him because he's always going to, to act in a way, to respond in a way that lines up with his perfect plans, or his perfect purpose, his perfect promises, and his perfect person. So that's the first thing that we can grab from this. The second is that there is power in Moses' prayer. There is power in Moses' prayer. You know, the, the Super Bowl is today, go Rams, and the, um, the okay, um, I was talking to someone the other day, and, and um, they're a Pats fan, and it was like funny, because, uh, you know, just talking to them, I'm like, do you realize that, like, some people don't ever get to experience, in their lifetime, their team winning a Super Bowl, and, and for him, it, it was a walk in the park, it's like, yeah, it's gonna be a good game, it's like, yeah, because you've had like nine of these in the last like eight years, you know? It's like <laughs> ridiculous. Anyways, the, the Rams are in the game, and it's kind of controversial as to how they're there. Because I don't know, did you guys watch the Rams-Saints game? There was a questionable call at the end uh, where it was a blatant pass interference, and um, they didn't call it. And um, Michael Thomas, who's one of their wide receivers, tweeted out, he said, Rule 17, Section 2, Article 3. And he sends it to, you know, tags Roger Goodell. And, um, of course, I know what this is um, as far as the, the rule book. Um, but if you, if you don't love football, um, what it is is actually Article 3 is the, it's this rule that allows Roger, to get, Roger Goodell to either reverse the outcome or replay the game from the point of the extraordinary event if there was some sort of extra, extraordinarily unfair thing that happened. So he tweets this thing out, and I'm like, hey, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Like, what if Goodell were to say, hey, you're right. We're going back on the field. We're going to, you know, start this whole thing up again right at the point of where the pass interference would have happened. Um, Roger Goodell said no. Uh, he did not agree. Um, but here's the thing is that, like, you know, when, when Michael Thomas tweeted this thing out, not a whole lot of people were like, oh, my gosh. Roger Goodell might, might overturn this thing. Like, the majority of people who are, like, smart were like, he's not going to do this. He's not going to be like, hey, guys, come on. Let's get everybody back in the stadium. We're going to, like, start. No, like, we all knew it wasn't going to happen. And, and that's why with, like, Moses, like, if I were to read this and not know the outcome, I'd be like, Moses, what are you doing? 
You're, you're going to God himself and saying, hey, like, I know you're going to do this, but like, what if, you know, you showed mercy and, and, and grace? Like, here Moses goes to God himself and, 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 and brings this prayer. And so we can't deny that there is power in Moses' prayer when we read this because, um, because of the end result. But we, I think we should look at Moses' prayer and actually be able to kind of break down why it was so powerful. The first thing is that Moses' prayer is selfless. His prayer is like absolutely selfless. I've had a lot of um, selfish prayers. You know, even, even as a kid, you know, we, we'd sit down at dinner and it'd be like, okay, Brody, it's your turn to pray. And um, I'd, I would like take it as a, as a point to like, prove what I'd learned in school. So I'd be like, God, man, we just thank you for the trees because they help bring us oxygen and they help us to breathe. And, um, and in the prayer, it was like, look at me. I learned this stuff. Um, and, but like growing up, it's like a lot of my prayers are still very selfish. They're about me, about my, like we talked about last week, like my own comfort, my own making my life just easier instead of about the kingdom of God. And, and here God is saying, hey, listen, Moses, these people that are driving you nuts, that will continue to drive you nuts, I'm going to wipe them out and you are going to be the leader of the nation. Basically saying, I'm going to elevate you to where like, you are going to be the one person that I use to, to, to bring you into the promised land, and then it's going to be you and your family, and um, I'm going to make you into a great nation. It would have been so much easier for Moses to say, okay, yeah, that sounds really good. There's a lot of, a lot of difficulty that he could have gone without. And even go this far, check this out, Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land because there was this, this point where the Israelites were whining about not having enough water. And so there, God said, hey, first time, I want you to strike this rock and water's going to come out of this rock. It was supposed to symbolize Jesus, you know, how, how Jesus was, was struck for us to have life. And then the second time that it happened, God said, hey, I want you to go to the rock and I want you to speak to it and, and water's going to come from it to show that Jesus didn't have to be struck twice in order to, for, for salvation. He did it once and for all and defeated and, and we can just go to him for the life that we need, which is crazy. But anyways, so Moses, the second time, is just fed up with the Israelites and hits the rock again. And because of that, God punishes Moses and, 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 and he he basically says, you're not going to be able to see the promised land. You, you're, unfortunately, I will show you what it looks like, but you're going to die before you reach the promised land. So check this out. If Moses would have gone with what God wanted to do, it was going to benefit him. He would have been in the promised land. He would have been the father of the nation. But because he was so selfless and cared so much about the people that he was leading, he said, God, I don't want you to do that. That was selfless. I feel like that turns God's ear when we are selfless like that. So we see that Moses' prayer was selfless. We also see that Moses' prayer appeals to God's promises. You know, um, he says, hey, listen, you promised to um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to make the, their descendants like endless. He, he brings up God's own promise, and, and I believe that this is a powerful way for us to pray. 
2 Peter 1, 4-5 says, And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. This shows, guys, it is so important to know the promises that God has given us. They're all throughout God's Word, yet a lot of times we don't really know what His promises are. I want to encourage you, go through God's Word and find the promises of what He has promised to you and to me and use those in your prayer life because they are powerful. When you pray in a way that says, God, I know your promises and I'm clinging to this promise, it is powerful. So know God's promises. So we see that Moses' prayer is powerful. The third thing is that we see that God wanted to give a picture of Jesus. God wanted to give a picture of Jesus. You know, what you see with um, a lot of the directors is the ones who are really good, a lot of the ones that like, that put together really good stories. They use something called foreshadowing, where you take one part of the, the, the story towards the beginning and it's supposed to foreshadow what's going to happen. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, I don't know if you've seen that. Um, they hand out Bibles at the beginning. It's a Christian movie. Um, I'm just kidding. It's, has anybody seen Shawshank? <laughs> Goodness. You guys are like, yeah, it is. Wow, cool. Um, I think the God's Not Dead people wrote it. Um, Nope. Uh, it's a great, it's an amazing movie. But at the beginning, the warden hands Andy a Bible and says, salvation lies within. And then later on, he'd been uh, keeping his rock hammer inside the Bible in the book of Exodus. How crazy is that? Um, and, and at the end, it says, you, you were right, salvation lies within. So it was like this, this bookend of like foreshadowing. And then at the end, it brings it back in. Um, Pixar is like amazing at like foreshadowing, not just like that story, but like the next story. Go ahead and show this one picture. This is from Monsters, Inc. This is um, uh, Boo, and she is handing, that, that's Finding Nemo, you know, and this was like two years before Finding Nemo came out, but what it was, it was a picture of the things to come. And so, so you see with this specific story, what this is, is a picture of what is to come of Moses standing between God and the people that deserve God's judgment and standing in the gap, standing in between. And that, 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 that's what Jesus did for us. You know, he stood in the middle of God's judgment and God's people that, that, that deserved wrath and punishment. You know, in, when, when Moses was making this appeal to God, he does so while they are worshiping this calf and indulging, it says, in pagan revelry. In the middle of, while they are doing that, he stands in between. Does that sound familiar? You know, in Romans 5, it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Colossians 1, 19-20 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. 1 Timothy 2, 3-6 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one, check this out, mediator, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. 
So we see that in this picture of Moses standing between God and, God's, and the people that deserve the punishment, that's what Jesus did for us. And you know, before we jump into, because a lot of times we can jump into, well, we're supposed to be Moses. We're supposed to pray for those that need the love of God, that need the grace of God. We need to first picture ourselves as the Israelites that are worshiping things that are not God, creating our own structures of what we should worship, going to other things for the, for the satisfaction, for the fulfillment, for the, for the love that only God can truly offer. The golden calves of our work and our families and, and the golden calves of, of you know, sex and drugs and all these different things that we go to because we think that it's going to fulfill us somehow. We need to picture ourselves as the Israelites. You know, there's this story that I heard. Uh, it was originally on um, This American Life. It's an NPR podcast. But I heard it from a podcast of a sermon that talked about that podcast. So it was like podcast inception. Um, but it was the story of the Kennedy Center. And the Kennedy Center opened in 1971, and they um, started the, the, um, the gift shop. And what they did is a lot of volunteers would come and work at this gift shop. What they realized is that they were doing uh, basically $400,000 worth of stuff was leaving the store. And um, they realized that they call it a shrinkage number. It's the amount of money that is lost somehow, whether someone's snagging it from you know, the cash register or whether it's people taking stuff. And apparently like an average number, like a big number, like Macy's, like if they're like, oh my gosh, our shrinkage number is like going crazy. It's at 3%. For the Kennedy Center, at the very beginning, it was 40%. 40%. Um, and so they were thinking, man, there must be somebody that is coming in, taking this stuff. And so they thought, oh, there's the guy that takes it from the cash box and deposits it in the bank. So they mark these bills. And, and, and they, 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 they hired this, it was called Deduct Detective Loveless, which is kind of cool. But he was like in, literally in the bushes, like the stuff from the movies. And they see this, this, this guy go to deposit it. And they, they, they basically come up to him, get all the stuff out of his pockets. And he's got some of the money but it was like 60 bucks. And so they realized like, okay, yeah, this guy might be stealing some, but like this is 40% of $400,000, $160,000 that we're like losing. So, so where, where is it? Who is the culprit? And what they did is they're like, okay, we need to get really strict with our inventory. And once they did that, they realized that the number went back down to like what an average number is. And they realized that and it was really depressing, they said, was that um, they realized everybody, everybody was taking stuff. Whether it be, oh, I'm going to take this you know, commemorative spoon, or I'm going to take this shirt, or I'm going to snag a little bit for cab fare, or I'm going to take... And it was just everybody contributing to this massive number. And so I think a lot of times in this story, it's easy for us to see ourselves as Moses, but we first need to see ourselves as the Israelites to see, man, we are the ones over here that deserve God's judgment and Jesus stepped in between and was the mediator. We need to picture ourselves as that first. And once we realize that and we realize God's grace that we truly, truly desperately needed, that we didn't deserve life at all, then I believe we have the strength to have the same attitude of Christ Jesus, like in Philippians 2 where it says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. 
So the fourth thing that we see is that God wants to use his people. God wants to use his people. God, for some reason, chooses the route of using his people for his glory. He could have easily done all of this himself, but he uses Moses in an incredible way. He desires to use his people. He wants to use you to to further his kingdom. What you'll see there in 2 Corinthians 5, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but what we see is that we are Christ's ambassadors. We're the ones that are reconciling. The, the, The ones that God uses with the message of reconciliation. God wants to use you to stand in the gap. You know, he had a true heart. Moses had a heart for the people he was leading. He was willing to give up, willing to sacrifice to stand in the gap. Let's pray that we have the heart of Moses, the heart of Jesus, to stand in the gap. You know, these people were, you know, Moses didn't say, oh my gosh, They're worshiping a golden calf and indulging in revelry. Guess they deserve it. No, he pleads on their behalf while they're doing these things. I believe God wants to use you in the same way. And then the fifth thing that we see is that God pours out his mercy and grace. God pours out his mercy and grace. You know, when it says change his mind... When you look at that word, it's, it's, you know, it's not like we do. God is not fickle. He doesn't just change his mind thinking, oh, I'm going to do this. Ah, just kidding, I'm going to do this. And He's not like that. He, he's consistent. He's firm. He's steady. He's a rock. But some translations use the word repent, which I don't love because God didn't sin. But, but the reason for that is that God was turning from one thing to another. He was turning from the judgment that they deserved And he turned to mercy and grace that they didn't deserve but was still consistent with his character. And any time that I see God in in Scripture do this this kind of change, this this switch, this turn, um, it seems to always be consistent with him turning from the judgment that people deserve to grace and mercy. I believe that God desires to do this. Jonah 3.10 in the story of Jonah, it says, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. He turned. Did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Romans 5.10, this, is, this isn't the same word, but it, it, it gives us the same picture. It says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. You see, God did the same turning when it came to us. Christ died for us while we were his enemies, yet at the same time, he loved us enough to turn and to offer us grace and mercy. God has a desire to pour out that mercy and that grace. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God desires to pour out his mercy and his grace. He desires, he, in no way does he, does he want to have to pour out judgment. He desires to, to pour out mercy and grace. Here's the thing. We may not fully understand God's sovereignty 
and, and, and free will and all these things mixed together. We may not understand what that means about our prayers. We've looked at some things of what we do know, but, but I do believe that, that what we know is that God, our, our prayers matter to God. And they do something. I know that it, when I pray, it changes me. And, and I know that, that God wouldn't ask us to pray if, if they meant nothing. The other day, or yesterday, um, Amber and I were, you know, there's been that Netflix thing where it's that lady that's just like, purge everything because nothing brings you joy. Um, and so we've been purging a lot, going through stuff. But we we're going through our keepsakes. And it was so cool. Like I was just sitting there looking at Amber going through her keepsakes and like, letter after letter after letter and note and, and, and pictures and all these things and, and like letters I don't even remember writing. Little notes, little note cards, like she kept them in this box because they were important to her. And it just meant a lot to me because I looked, I'm like, man, that, that really meant a lot to her. That's so cool. And, um, and it, it reminded me of in Revelation 5, it says um, they held gold, and this is Revelation, so this is like John's vision of like, you know, the end times it says they held gold bowls filled with incense which are the prayers of God's people see your prayers are precious to God when you stand in the gap and you and you say God please act on my behalf please please do something that means so much to God that you would do that he, he is a God that truly desires to show mercy and grace and to act on your behalf and to do things for you. You know, when we pray, I believe it changes things. It is an incense to God. God cherishes those prayers. So, so you may feel like you're at the end of your rope. And you're like, man, I just feel like giving up. I'm, 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 I'm been praying for my kid who's gone wayward for the longest time. And it just seems like nothing is happening. God, I've been praying for this marriage nonstop, and it just seems like it's just going in the other direction. God, I've been praying for my health. I've been praying for, I just feel like I, I can't ever get my head above water when it comes to finances. Man, I don't, I don't know what it is in your life. And just like Josiah said, that everybody's, um, you know, mountain, everybody's giant is something different. But you may feel like, man, God doesn't care anymore. I want to let you know that, that it's the total opposite. God cherishes your prayers. And we may not understand why he does or why he doesn't act. We may not understand his response. I don't know if we ever will, but we can trust, one, that he is a perfect God. And he will always act in accordance to his character. And the second is that he cherishes those prayers. He values those prayers. He wants you to keep praying. Don't give up. Don't give up. So um, we're going to end our time in prayer. But for some of you, um, you know, you may be at a point where um, you don't have a relationship with God. And that's the first step when it comes to, to God answering your prayers is to have a relationship with God. And just like I said earlier, Jesus stood in the middle of your sin and God's judgment and he took on the punishment that you deserve so that you can be saved, so that you can have a relationship with God. And what's, what's basically what, what's determining whether you get to experience that or not is your response. All you got to do is just 
tell God, listen, God, I'm, I'm tired of my old ways. I'm turning to you. I want to live for you. I want to receive this gift of salvation. So if that's you, just while I pray, just in your own words, just be telling God, God, I want to give my life to you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to receive this gift of salvation. I want to receive the death of Jesus in my place. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. Lord, there are a lot of things where we don't completely understand what you do or why you do them. We don't understand your response. We don't understand a lot about you, but what we do know and what we can cling to is the fact that you love us, that you have our best interest in mind, that you, that you have plans for our lives, and God, that you cherish our prayers. Lord, I pray that we would hold on to that faith, hold on to that hope that, that prayer changes things, that prayer is powerful, that you listen to our prayers, that you cherish those prayers, Lord, that you keep our prayers and it's like incense to you. God, allow us to not give up on prayer. Jesus, we love you. We are so grateful for everything you've done in our lives and the fact that you yourself are unchanging. In your name I pray, amen.